Glad to have you here with us this morning. And as we get started, just want to let you know of a few announcements. Uh, one, if you have shoe boxes, those are due today. Um, they are taking them at, uh, at First Baptist in Franklin. Um, that's where we're going to take our shoe boxes. So if you forgot it and you want to take it somewhere, I believe they're open today for most of the afternoon. Um, so if you want to run it down there yourself, that's fine. But any, we'll be taking those shoe boxes today. Um, thank you all so much who filled those out. It seems like we have a very good um, number of shoe boxes in the back to take. So we're thankful for your, um, your ministry to those in need uh, through that shoe box ministry. Also happening um, tonight or today, we're going to have an announcement about this in a moment, but tonight there will be no services here tonight or Wednesday night um, for Thanksgiving. So no services tonight or Wednesday night. Um, thank you all who prayed and, and, and thought about us as we had our reverb event this weekend. We had a good number of students go, um, and it was a really, a really encouraging time together. One other thing that's due today, if you, if you can, um, we would like to collect the money for the for the shirts, the shirt fundraiser money. If you uh, wrote your name down on, a, on the paper in the back to get a shirt, uh, we're planning on ordering those this week. So if you want to give a check, um, you can just make it out to the church and in the memo line just put shirt fundraiser and uh, hand that to me or Crystal and we'll make sure that it goes where it's supposed to go. But thank you all so much. I think last time I counted we had 57 shirts ordered, which is awesome. So we're so thankful um, that you all have... Uh, have come together to do that. But before we have our call to worship, Crystal has an announcement about One Night in Bethlehem. So it's somebody else asking for help other than me. Good morning. Good morning. We have changed the time because of the sun going down. We're only going to get a few minutes if I leave it at 5. So we're going to start at 2 today. You can come at 2, you can come at 3, 4, whatever time you, you can to help clean up there's a few repairs need to be done and um, clean up and putting fabric back on buildings and bring some tools if you have them, if you know how to use them. <laughs> um, I wanted to describe what One Night was, is because there are several people asked me, they had no clue what we're talking about. As a church, sometimes we forget to explain the events that we're having. Um, one night is a guided tour of the city of Bethlehem. It's a working village. There's shops. Um, people are working on baskets. They're making bricks. Um, it's just a working village from the time before Christ, during his birth, into the tomb. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, a lot, it's hard work in the beginning, but once you get out there, you forget about all the work you've done and just enjoy it. So if you can come tonight, I appreciate it, and we'll have another day to set up. And um, if you have any questions, just ask me. Thank you. trouble thinking as well as walking right now. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate everybody's concern, but they were, they were worried about me not being able to get up the stairs. So I, I kind of 
freedom to it. I got up here a little early to get me a place to sit. So but I want to share in scripture this morning. And I think one of the most beautiful parts of scripture, and the Lord gives us some wonderful promises. They're wonderful promises for future. And uh, today in our Sunday school class, Brother Jerry was talking about how, what is our hope? Our hope for eternity. And so this fits right in, of course. You know, the Lord, the way the Lord works, it's, it's amazing. My wife has a little pendant that I bought for her years ago. And she's wearing it this morning, but it's got a beautiful opal in a, in a uh, uh, gold nugget. And she lost it. And so two or three nights ago, I woke up in the night and I began to pray. And I prayed, Lord, help, help her find it because it means so much to her. Well, guess what? The next morning, she opened the suitcase that we'd been in, and there it was. So that's the way the Lord works. And in this scripture, we need to think about the beautiful things that, that God has prom promised us and put forth so that it gives us this hope in eternity and, and all the reason for serving him and loving him. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a beautiful promise. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your beautiful promises. We thank you, Lord, that we can put our trust in you and that you will secure our hope for eternity, and you will provide all things needed forever. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Sorry about that, Neil. I would have come up earlier. <laughs> Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worshiping with singing, I will enter in his gates. with when we all get to heaven.
Aiden. Can 
If you'll stand, we're going to sing together again and sing Rock of Ages. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just for allowing us to come into this house and fellowship with um, our fellow believers and just sing praises and worship to you this morning, God. Lord, I thank you so much um, just for this season of Thanksgiving and reminding us of so much we have to be thankful for, God, and all the ways you've truly blessed us, Lord. But, Lord, no blessing is is greater than the fact that um, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, Lord, we know without a shadow of a doubt that there is no temptation that will overrule us, God. There's um, nothing we can do to run away from your love, God, that you make even the vilest sinner clean. So, Lord God, this morning, I just pray that um, that be our prayer this morning, that you'll just make us clean and remind us of our blessings, God, and just revive us with your spirit of love and grace and gratitude, God. Lord, we thank you for the book of Isaiah and everything we're learning through it, God. We just pray that you speak clearly through Pastor Neil this morning and be with our children and children's church and our nursery workers as well. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated and children are going to children's church in the back. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Uh, Please turn to Isaiah chapter 65 as... Our children and workers leave. Isaiah 65. This week and next week in Isaiah. And then, guess what? It's Christmas season. Advent. Um, But until then, we'll continue to walk through the end of Isaiah. So, let's see this morning kind of the way we would see taking a tour through Bethlehem. I'm grateful for Crystal's explanation because sometimes we assume everybody knows what we mean 
when we speak our Glenlock Church language. And every week, I guarantee you, there's several folks in here who don't know what we're talking about, and, and, and some of you have been here for years. So anyway, I'm just joking. I'm speaking to me. Isaiah 63 through 65. So what I'm going to do this morning is cover three chapters. And you're like, uh-oh. No. We're going to walk through this kind of like we would take <clears throat> a tour through Bethlehem. Now, when you take the tour through Bethlehem, it's important that you go through the process correctly. So the first place you'll come is in here, and you will wait. All right? And that's the, probably the hardest part. Uh, then you'll take an exit out this side back there, kind of where I'm pointing, and a guide will take you through by the, that's usually Gina Kingston. You'll get a history of Bethlehem. You'll go by the lepers. You'll enter into the city gate. Uh, where you will see Roman soldiers who might t talk a little rough with you. Uh, then you meander through Bethlehem. You see the inn and the angels. And then you see the manger scene. Then the cross. We conclude the rest of the story pretty quickly. Then the cross. Then the, the empty tomb. We talk about the resurrection. Now, Several years ago, some of my family members, not the people who are connected here at the moment, tried to short-cut, short-circuit the process. They knew I was standing at the empty tomb. They wanted to go straight to the tomb. <laughs> like, look, there are several things wrong here. Y'all go back up there and wait and go through the process. One of the problems with doing it that way would be that you, you, you miss the background. It's so much more meaningful when there's a time to wait and a time to walk. you got to have the whole context. You rush too quickly to the glorious end, and it's just not the same. It's, it's just not as meaningful as the journey through. Uh, that says a lot to us about how God works, and it says a lot to us about how I'm going to approach Isaiah chapter 65. So turn to Isaiah 65, 70, 17. We're going to end with the glorious promise that Brother Larry spoke about this morning from Revelation 21. But then we're going to go back a few pages to 63 and 64, and I'm going to show you a couple of scenes so that we will understand how and why we got to the glorious promise of a new heaven and a new earth. So let's look at Isaiah 65, 17. What a wonderful, powerful, incredible promise that we find here near the end of Isaiah. One reason this is important, your current frame of mind, your current attitude, your current actions are tied deeply to what you believe about your future. To what you think your future holds for you. That's why it's crucial for the Christian to live with the end in mind. To define life backwards and live life forwards. I'm going to show you the end, and then we're going to back up 
and we're going to see how and why we got there. So 65.17 sounds a lot like Revelation 21, which is extremely intentional from the providence and sovereignty of God. God says to a people in exile, suffering, chaotic, a changing landscape. And he says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. I'll be honest, as a young Christian, this was part of the gospel that I either didn't pay attention to, which is probably the case, not thinking enough about. There's going to be a new earth, new heavens. The gospel is so big and so good. Look at 17. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. It's going to be so good the past is forgotten. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing. Remember what Larry said in Revelation 21, what he read? Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Wow. God creates Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and and be glad in my people. There will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. Long, flourishing, prosperous life, eternal life is what's coming. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred. The one who does not reach the age of a hundred shall be thought accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Injustice is gone. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my chosen ones shall wear out the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Meaningful, productive, fruitful labor. Or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord, their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. Relationship with God in verse 24 is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely intimate. The wolf and the lamb, there's harmony in creation. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. That's going to seem strange and weird, but that's a good thing. They shall do... No, skipping. Dust shall shall be the serpent's food. Satan finally falls, gets what he deserves. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Father, thank you for this incredible promise, this future promise. Glory that graciously comes to us by your hand and by your mercy through the work of your suffering servant. May we rejoice and be glad in it today, now. Because our future is set. We're secure. There's hope. There's life. Everlasting. We pray that that would transform the way we think and live now. 
in relationship to circumstances, other people, our responses to things. God, just guide us through this uh, for your name's sake and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, that's the end. Now, Isaiah 63, 64, and 65 are important as you come together and understand why is a new heaven and a new earth needed? Why is it necessary? How is it going to happen? So let's turn back a couple of pages, and thankfully Tammy and I met a little bit before the service. But if you've got your Bible, she's also going to have it on the screen. Let's walk through some things uh, as we take our tour guide through one night in Isaiah. One morning in Isaiah. So the first point I want to make this morning is let's go to the complaint section. And you're like, oh man, I live in the complaint department all day long. Man, this is a frustrating fallen world, isn't it? It's broken. It's sinful. It's cursed. We're already under judgment. It's plain to see. What am I supposed to do with all of my complaints, frustrations, and questions? Sure, you talk about a new heaven and a new earth, but what about right now? All right, here's what you do. Number one, take all your questions, all your complaints, and all your frustrations first to God. Isaiah does this. If you look at 63.10, he starts to unfold the situation that was at hand. There, there, Isaiah sees ahead of time and he knows because of our sin and because of our judgment, we're going to be exiled. And our enemies are going to run roughshod over us. This is going to be hard and this is going to be difficult. He could see into the future. And in the limited future, things are going to get worse. Which is one reason why in the limited now, which has a limited future, we need to see the ultimate and final future to be able to know how to live properly today. Because does the Bible not promise things are going to get worse before they get better? You already see it. You already know it. So Isaiah in 63.10 starts to, to, to question God and complain to God and has all these frustrations. But here's what he does. He takes it first to God. And that's what you and I must do. Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. There's a reason why we feel the weight of sin. There's a reason why we have questions. There's a reason why we have frustrations. This is not our permanent home. So now we go through the complaint department, and I'm just going to read to you some of the things that he says. In 63.10... He says, they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. That's what happened. Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them because he had said, if you disobey me, if you rebel against me, things are not going to go well for you. So then his people, I'm in 6311, complaint department here. His people remembered the days of old and Moses and they said, where is he? He brought them up out of the sea and he shepherded his flock. Where is he? Again, in verse 11. 
He put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them. He caused his arm to go at the right hand of Moses. He divided the waters before them. I'm in 63:13. He led them through the depths like the horse in the wilderness. And they, they didn't stumble. God, you worked mightily in the past. Where are you now? Have you abandoned us? Have you forsaken us? Look at verse 15, this appeal. Look down from heaven and see. The holy and glorious habitation. Look at 15. Where is your zeal? God, where is your passion for us? Where are all those mighty deeds that we heard about? Look at 17. Why? Why? Why did you cause us to stray from your ways? Why did you harden our heart from fearing you? And then 64.1, there's a lot more in this complaint department from Isaiah as intercessor for his people. Oh, 64.1, oh that you would split the heavens and come down. The tense actually is, God, if you had done something already, we wouldn't be in this jam. Roll back on to God first and foremost all of your questions, all of your concerns, all of your frustrations. If you don't do that, you will only live horizontally. We must live first vertically. You and I first live to seek and to know and to cry out to Him. Before you ever go to other people, go first to God. I'll never forget years ago, John Mark's friend Wes Fowler came to preach a youth revival for us. And Wes said something really helpful and I thought pretty profound, but also very convicting. He got to the point as a youth pastor in Valdosta that he said to his critics and complainers and people who were frustrated with his ministry... I'm not sure the tone that he used, I can't quite remember. And that always affects things greatly. But he would say, don't criticize me until you have first prayed for me. And I want us to apply that across the board to everything that happens to us on the horizontal plane. Go first to him. This has a few benefits. When you go first to God, that confesses that He is the authority. He. You're recognized. I'm going to go first to Him. Why? Because that's the control center of the universe. That's also going to express your dependency on God. Man, where you run to first kind of sets the, the tone and the momentum for how this thing's going to work out. When you go to Him first... Ah, oh, that tempers and humbles you a bit. That might show you that the problem's not all on other people. Boy, and it will engage his perspective. You start praying for your enemies. You start praying about the things and the situations that frustrate you. And when you go to God, here's the problem. You'll begin to take his perspective on other people, other circumstances, and life itself. Go to Him first. One of the challenges that Tracy and I have had in raising five boys is just an example. Things that happen at school. 
there's a lot of frustrations, questions, and issues that go on at school. And one of the questions that we've often asked them about how things are going in the classroom is this. Have, have you talked to your teacher first about it? <laughs> and what do you think the answer often is? No. Why do they not want to go and talk to the teacher first? And there's a lot of reasons. Fear. Intimidation. I mean, I could rattle off ten reasons why I used to not want to go talk to my teacher. Because usually if I wouldn't talk to the teacher, she'd figure out a way to turn it around on me, right? Why do we hesitate to go to the one in charge first? I want you to look at your own heart and own life and you answer that question. Why is it easier to run to all of our friends and our family members? Why is it easier to complain and just read, just vent? Man, hey, read Twitter, read social media. We are addicted to frustration. We are addicted to complaining. I, I, I didn't even mean, mean to get into this. If all of us would go to him first, man, have you prayed to God about this? I think that's the question. Is this legitimate, though? Can we do this and still be faithful children of God? Absolutely. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Read the Psalms of Lament. Jesus in Gethsemane, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. Paul Prayed three times, Jesus, please take this. Roll everything on to God, that life by God rolls on to you. And Tozer said, if you do that, he will take away the sense of responsibility by bringing in the realization of himself. Number two, first word, take. All your questions, all your complaints, all your frustrations, first to God. Number two, this one actually is going to come from 64. So if you're still taking the tour through uh, one morning in Isaiah here, let's look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 of 64. Here's point number two. After you take all your questions, frustrations, and concerns to God, number two, turn, there's another T here, Turn from your self-righteousness and rely totally upon the righteousness which comes from God alone. So now we're moving from the complaint department to the confession department. And you and I have a lot, of, a lot to confess. Turn from your self-righteousness, your self-justification, your right to be right. And it's damaging your relationship with God. And it's damaging your relationship with other people. It's, it's um, well, I'll just let the word speak. So what Isaiah does after interceding with some complaints, he intercedes with confession. And in 64.4, he says, For from of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, Neither has the eye seen a God besides thee. There is no other place to go. 
Then he says this about God. Remember, he prays to God based on the knowledge of God that he has through God's revelation. God, you act on behalf of the one who does what? Waits for him. Turn from your impatience and wait, not upon anyone else but God. God, you meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness. The people who remember you in your ways, you meet with them. So he's describing to me these ways of repentance, these ways of turning away from self-pride and self-righteousness to dependence and faith and trust in God alone. Waiting for him, doing what's right, meeting with him, remembering him. He says at the end of verse 5, You were angry, we sinned, and we continued to sin. But God has given us an exit ramp. We're like the runaway trucks in North Carolina going down the hill. And here's, here's an escape route, a sand pit. You ever seen those things? Barreling down. It's nice to know those are there. Can I, can I put my F-150 into one of those? How bad would that be? Now they're for these big massive trucks. God's given you an opportunity to turn, to repent. And, and at the end of verse 5, shall we be saved? And here's the, here's the issue. All of us, Isaiah speaking, all of us, top to bottom, have become like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds, our righteousness, the good things that we think and say and do. They're absolutely filthy. They're gross. They're disgusting. Now he's comparing himself in the light of God's purity and holiness. All of us wither like a wheat leaf. Look around at you. Leaves wither and die. In the fall they get brown. They fade. They fall off the tree. Man, the very best of us, at our best, compared to His holiness and His eternal character and nature, we are leaves that wither and die. Our righteousness is as filthy as the nastiest messes you can think of that your pets have done inside. I had a couple of thoughts that I was going to share with you, but I'll be honest, they're too gross. Man, Ringo did some stuff to a rug we had one time. The only thing fitting to do with it was to throw it away, or if you know me, burn it. Go study the Hebrew graphic nature of this verse, and you'll see why I'm not going into detail on what this actually means. But what he's saying, that if we by God's grace know ourselves, we will know there is nothing in me good enough to present before God to gain righteousness, heaven, or favor. So he goes on to say in verse 7, who, there's no one calling on your name. They're all self-reliant, self-focused, self-righteous. No one will arouse himself to love. Man, this is beautiful. Take hold of thee. Run to God and grab him and believe in him. God, you've hidden your face from us on purpose so that we'll realize that without him we're absolute unrighteousness. I've got to move on. But that whole section, prom I promise you, that whole section 
that, that deals with Isaiah representing and interceding with confession. It's about moving God's people to turn from our own self-righteousness and rely totally upon the righteousness which comes down from God as a gift. So there's the righteousness that God has, there's the righteousness that God demands, and then there's the righteousness that God gives to those who by grace through faith trust in Jesus and His finished work for their righteousness. So all of this is preparing for the good news of the gospel. So I want to go back to 65. Let's go to the empty tomb. You can be in my family. We'll cut to the end. 65, let's go back to 17. Now we've moved from the complaint department out of the confession department and into the creating department. And what we learn from the creation section of 63, 64, and 65 is that you and I must trust God. There's another T. Take, turn, and trust. Trust. Trust God to fulfill His promises that will ensure that His kingdom will prevail. The title of this, this morning's message is God's kingdom will prevail. Look at the end that he promised in Revelation 21 and 22. And look at the end that he promised in Isaiah 65, 17 along the way to fulfilling that promise in Christ. Trust. Look at 17. I create. Let's just land on that one just for a moment. The same exact phrase as Genesis 1-1. When out of nothing, God breathed into existence ex nihilo this universe and this earth. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So here's what Isaiah is saying. God is going to do that again and create a whole new universe. A whole new world. A new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 22 says he's going to make all things new. This is the future grace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for this. Jesus rose from the dead for this. This is our future. It's our destiny. And we need to trust that God has the sovereignty and the power and the goodness and the love to be able to pull this off. You and I can't do it. I can't hardly create anything. I've been so impressed with some of these. I know I talk about it a lot lately, but it's kind of dominating my mind. Our, our, our home renovation. I've been so impressed with all these guys who can make stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting to notice how we're created in the image of God who is what? He is creator. Out of nothing, he created all of this. And so our cabinets, for example. I mean, I told this guy, I'm so impressed with what you do. You work with your hands. You have this vision, you plan, you put it all together. And then you bring it down to our house, and you put it in our house, and instantly it makes this old house look so much better. And we doubt the ability of God to create. And look, Revelation 12. He brings it all, he brings it down. 
His grace, His mercy. We can't create it. We can't climb up to it. How do you know, preacher, that this is going to be what God really does? Well, number one, His Word promises it. And Isaiah has already said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Oh, but number two, His love. Not just what He says, but what He does. The Apostle Paul says, if God kept the promise of sending Jesus, His Son, if God demonstrated His love to us that while we were enemies, He would sacrifice his, if God kept that promise to create life through the sacrificial suffering offering of his son, and, and if God raised him up from the dead, oh, then you know that his love is the most powerful force in the universe. His love won't stop at anything. It's his word and his love to us in Christ that ensures that in a changing, chaotic, frustrating world filled with questions, we look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and we wrap it with the Word of God and we know for sure that this same God will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Look, he's also, hey, we are new creations in Christ, are we not? What's he doing in you and me? Recreating us. What does Peter say? Because we wait on a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, what kind of people ought we to be? You're going to have a new body. He's recreating you now through his spirit. And one day we shall be like him. A new earth. A new heaven. I'll close with an interesting conversation I had Friday afternoon with an Oklahoma Sooners fan. And the way I knew he was an Oklahoma Sooners fan is he had an Oklahoma Sooners hat on and he had an Oklahoma Sooners t-shirt on. I said, man, that's a dead giveaway. So I had some space Friday afternoon and I actually got all my study stuff, like my Bible and my notes, my family scene, just scattered all over this, this picnic table beside Southwire Lake, Richards Lake, along near the dam where it's just me and the water and so quiet, so peaceful. I said, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to tile this tour through Isaiah together for our church folks Sunday morning. And after about 15 minutes there by myself, the Oklahoma Sooner guy just walks up. I saw him walking along the, the lake there. He parked his truck. He comes up to me and he says, uh, Man, it's bad to, bad to be working, isn't it? <laughs> he sees all my stuff scattered out on the table there. You know, He probably thinks I'm a Southwire engineer or something. No. I look up and says, well, actually, it's, it's not that bad to be working out here today. And I said, I'm actually a minister, and I'm studying for my sermon for Sunday. He said, oh, that's interesting. He says, what are you preaching about? I says, well, I'm preaching in Isaiah and in chapter 65. And I said, God has promised that he's going to bring to us, for us, a new earth. And kind of caught me off guard because he looked at me and said, the last thing we need is a new earth. <laughs> and I thought, 
He says, as bad as this one is, we don't need a new one. And, and I, finally, I finally found a way to relate to what he was trying to say. It would be like me saying, the last thing Tracy and I need is another child, all right? That's kind of that's what I think he was saying. This one's so messed up, why would we want another one, <laughs> right? And so then I explained, no, nah, it's not like that. It's going to be like this, but completely new. There's not going to be any death, no crying, no pain. It's going to be righteous. He's like, look, man, he says, I don't even go to the city of Atlanta because I'm scared of what might happen to me there. Like, it's a dangerous place. And I thought, oh, man, um, getting people to grasp this. Never even got the guy's name. But he went to walk off, and I said, sir, I said, uh, you do know that there's a way that you can know that you're going to be on and in that new earth, don't you? And he turned around and he says, oh, yeah. He says, you give your life away to God. And then he says, my dad was a minister. And we had a few more tying it together conversation pieces there and... Um, but I think the way I want to close this sermon is to challenge you with that question. Have you really given away your life to God? I know that we struggle with that because in our imperfection and fallenness, there's really only one who ever did that completely in a righteous and perfect way, and that's Jesus. I want to cast my life, my soul, my future on the only one who totally surrendered everything to his Father. The one who died and rose from the dead for me. Give your life to him. And in your account will be the righteousness of someone who perfectly gave their life totally to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of um, complaints. These words of confession. Oh, but these beautiful words of creation. And we know that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you promised ahead of time that we would walk in them. So as we make our way forward, this journey to the new heaven and the new earth, which will come down to us. Lord, teach us to live gratefully, thankfully. We thank you in advance. We thank you in advance for all that you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot to
Church, I want to introduce to you Miss Brittany Brock and her two, the two of her daughters, uh, Sky and Taylor. 
I've been talking with Brittany about church membership and what that means and uh, the formalities of it and so forth. Uh, Brittany was baptized at First Baptist Church Moreland a few years ago, so she's saved and baptized. And then I told her, I said, you know, when you feel like this is where God is leading you and your family to be a part of formally and permanently, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no rush, but when you feel led to do that, you come forward. Well, she came forward this morning, so... Uh, that's confirmation that she feels like that this is a church that we can be to be her church home. So she will be coming by uh, profession of faith, uh, by statement. So what's the pleasure for Brittany Brock, a related church membership here at Glenlock? We have movement and Howard pretty quick over there in a second. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. 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 Um, is Rodney and Beth here? Why don't y'all come up? I know I think they're here probably because you told us about told them about our church. So Rodney and Beth are going to stand with Brittany and her daughters. And after we close, uh, you'll want to come by and welcome her formally into our church family. We are grateful for you, Brittany, and uh, entrusting us with your discipleship and pastoral care and all, all that that involves. Hey, a couple of things. Uh, this is a needy time of year. 120 families were fed Tuesday, or food given to Tuesday in our food pantry ministry. So derail and volunteers, uh, yes, sir, thank you. Anything you need to say about what you might need? Yeah, two straight weeks, two, two straight record-setting weeks. I don't know if Thanksgiving, uh, we don't know. Uh, don't want over, over, to uh, try to overthink that. But on Thursday, Pepper Jackson and some others are cooking a meal in our fellowship hall for the needy in our community. We're adding families to that list. If you know of a family or if you are a family with a need for a Thanksgiving meal, please let me know. Uh, also, I'm going to be reaching out to a few of you to cook sides to go with that. Some of you we've already spoken to, but if you would be willing to cook and bring that food here by 10 o'clock Thanksgiving morning, then we're going to sort it together, and it's going to be taken uh, out to families where they're going to come and pick it up. So if you're willing to cook a side, which is like you would cook for your family for Thanksgiving, uh, let me or, or Mr. Pepper Jackson know. And the other thing is Terry Harper. It's good to see you back, friend. Amen. Um, you want to give a quick update on Marcia and how she's doing? Amen. 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 Quit praying. Continue to pray for Marcia. And there are others, but uh, we're going to close there. Um, Catherine, would you close us with a benediction and maybe a word? Don't forget, work day starts at 2. Oh, no deacons meeting today. It'll be next Sunday at 6 o'clock. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. Catherine. All right, let's sing Family of God together for our new members. I'm so glad I'm a part of
Y'all have a great week.